0: And with that, it's my pleasure to continue the series on the Holy Spirit. The title of the series uh, is The Holy Who. And while that can sound ambiguous or even maybe to some blasphemous, I named it The Holy Who because too often not much is said about the Holy Spirit of God in church. He's been treated more as a thing, as an object, as an essence, a power. But the Holy Spirit is the third person and the emphasis is person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He has feeling, he has sentiment. He will comfort us, Jesus said. He will lead us, he will guide us. He will reveal things to us. He has intelligence. This is the third person of the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who have been here, uh, you've heard me say, and for the benefit of those who are just coming in for the very first sermon in this series, it is not too different from the fact that we are a triune being. Every one of you can see who Rob Scarallo is by the flesh. And I'm looking forward to the day where I trade in this bag of bones we were singing that first chorus and it says, This bag of bones. And I turned to uh, Kathy and I said, The older I get, the more that seems to be a fitting description, this bag of bones. Uh, but we will trade it in and I'm going to get a new body. It's going to be an incredible body. I think this body's pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't the body an amazing thing? I've been working, doing some renovation work on my house, and I sweat like, you know, I just sweat a lot. So it's been pretty hot, and I'm usually in shorts and no shirt. I am the darkest I have ever been. Pastor Carlos and I actually pass for twins now. But one of the things that amazed me is that as I'm working over there at the house, I get scratched, I get cut, I get bruised. Uh, all sorts of things happen. You know, put tools in my hand and anything can happen. It's all possible. And uh, what amazes me is this bag called skin, how it rejuvenates, how it heals, how it, you, you could puncture it. I don't know of many things I can puncture, and it just heals itself. It comes back together. I get scraped. I get scratched. I get cut. Uh, You'd be amazed at what I'm capable of doing. (laughs) And this bag of skin just heals itself. You know me by the flesh. Some of you know me by my soul, the person of who I am. And then God knows me by my spirit. And that deep, intimate relationship. We are spirit, soul, and body. Anyway, last week I mentioned the fact that all four Gospels, not every story is mentioned in all four Gospels. Not every statement Jesus makes is mentioned in all four Gospels. But in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts, this statement is repeated. In all five of these books, John baptized with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And surely God, by His Spirit, puts special emphasis on this truth that of the few things that are repeated in all four Gospels, let alone also again in the book of Acts, this one truth is penned over and over again. And if you believe in a God who is sovereign, then surely you have to agree God put some preeminence, some importance on this fact. John baptized with water. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We saw very clearly that the baptism in the Holy Spirit, an infilling, a deeper Touch and leading of God's spirit is referred to as God's promise. And last week I read a couple of scriptures, Luke 24, 49. I'm going to send you, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. God had a promise you know, when I give gifts to my kids, I'm probably just as excited as they are. And I'm anticipating them unwrapping that gift. I'm anticipating their reactions and their responses. How many parents know what I'm talking about? And when your kids were only, you know, two years old, you're full of anticipation inside of that. Christmas wrapping or birthday wrapping is this really cool gift. And the truth be told, it's what you wanted when you were a little kid and now you're living vicariously through your child and you can't wait till they open it up and they're as excited about it as you are. And they get to the wrapping paper and they rip off the wrapping paper and they get to the box and they're fascinated with the wrapping paper in the box. And you say, why did I spend all that money? <laughs> So you start to play with it (laughs) under the guise that you're showing them what it can do. And then you play with them because you really want to play with it. (laughs) But I think about how the word says, don't forget, Jesus is about to go up to a heaven. He had already risen from the dead and he, he reminds them, don't forget. God has a promise waiting for you. We think about the coming of Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that was the be all and end all. And it sure was the be all, but it's not the end. God has promise after promise after promise. And there is no greater gift than the gift of Jesus Christ without question. But there's an equal gift and that's the gift of his precious Holy Spirit. Because how are we going to put greater value on one entity of the Godhead? Jesus is God's great promise to us. In fact. You know, we all know that when Jesus died on the cross in that very moment, the Bible says that the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And we think of all the spiritual implications and what that means. And now the the access to the Holy of Holies is open to us. But this morning as we were worshiping, I saw another side of it. I saw a side not from our perspective. I saw a side from God's perspective. And I got to be honest, as we were worshiping, I started to laugh. Because I saw the curtain being torn from top to bottom. As the father was excited that the promise of his son, the promise of being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the promise of humanity being reconnected with him was such an amazing gift. He ripped the curtain open so that we could receive the gift inside. Hallelujah. (laughs) I believe That he ripped that curtain open as much as for that reason as he was also signifying we have access to the Holy of Holies. Do you understand the pain in God's heart as he watched humanity destroy each other? Can you imagine the pain in God's heart as he saw the hurting of one soul? And now finally, he could reveal and unwrap to the world his greatest gift, himself, in the form of a sacrificial lamb so that he could be reconnected with his lost creation. Oh, how excited God was at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was on that cross and he said it's finished, he wasn't saying, okay, I'm done, I'm about to die. No, when he was on that cross and his body was emptied of everything he is, He cried out, it is finished, meaning this is the period at the end of humanity's suffering. God's plan for salvation and restoration is now complete. Hallelujah. It is finished. The tyranny and the rulership of demons over humanity has come to an end in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Lord. And as excited as we can understand that God was about that, no longer are men and women held in a holding pattern covered by the blood of bulls and goats. Now the stench is really being washed off of their lives by the blood of the Son of God. Hallelujah. But as much as God could be excited about that, the Bible makes it quite clear that no sooner Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he appears to the disciples and proves that he's alive. He sits, he eats with them. And we find that one of the things he discusses with them is the Holy Spirit. We see that in the first verses of chapter 1 of, uh, of the book of Acts. But here in Luke 24, Jesus says, Now don't forget, I'm about to ascend to heaven, but there's more! Just like a good infomercial. <laughs> but wait, there's more! <laughs> he says... Don't forget, I am going to send you what my Father promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So I want to take your mind to that same place of understanding as I have just done with the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ and what it meant to the Father. We know what it means to us. But this is restoration now to the Father. Like every one of us, we stumble, we stray, we walk away. And a preacher in his life is no different than everyone else. You ever notice in Hebrews it says God chose a high priest, Jesus, who could identify with our pain, with our suffering, with our wrongs, right? And even when he calls priests made of flesh, he pulls people who are very much just like us. Everyone, repeat after me, most of us are like the rest of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. My kids are no different than any other kids. And while sometimes churches put a higher expectation on the kids of a pastor, they're just the same. And so my son, Robbie, together with my two daughters, Amy and Amber, I love my kids deeply. I will gladly lay down my life for them. But my son had walked away from the things of God, having been hurt. And for several years, tears constantly flooded from my soul and washed the outside of my face. As I would weep and intercede, that I don't care what you do, where you take him, and whether I ever see him again but I want to know that he comes back to you. And I can only tell you the joy in my heart when two weeks ago my son texts us an image of a certification of him having given his life to Jesus Christ. So in part, I can understand the joy of the Father. Jesus dies, he's crucified. He rises again, but it's finished. Now his lost creation can come back and be reunited with him. What I experienced as tremendous as my emotions are, are but a fraction of the hallelujah that God shouted in heaven when salvation became complete. But Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem, there's another promise. Don't leave until you receive the Holy Spirit like my Father has promised. God had another promise. You know, at Christmas time, when my kids were small, they'd open one present, and then there's another. And, and honestly, the parents are usually more excited than the kids. I don't know about in your house, but I'm the one who couldn't keep sleeping on Christmas morning. I'd be waking up. Heck, I was the one who had to make pancakes and eggs and sausages. And, but I was excited to see their reaction. Watch this, Luke 24, 49, Jesus says it before he ascends. But then in the book of Acts, he refers to this again, Acts Chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, it just said he was with them for 40 days and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. I would love to know some of those conversations. They're not recorded. The only one that God saw fit to tell the Holy Spirit to inspire Luke to write was this Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John has baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. With the Holy Spirit. What an emphasis. That of all the things that Jesus talked about after rising from the dead. All the things he would have explained. All the questions Peter would have asked. That Thomas would have asked. I mean I know what I would have asked. I would have asked heaps of questions. So you went to the belly of hell. You took on the whole kingdom of darkness by yourself. What was it like? Describe it to me. What was hell like? What is this kingdom like that you're building? I would have had tons of questions. But the one that God wants to impress on his church is the only one that's written. And it's about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the same way God was absolutely ecstatic and over the moon, no pun intended, of course he's over the moon, uh, but though aside from the fact that God was ecstatic and over the moon about salvation, he was also excited that now that men and women aren't in a holding pattern covered by the blood of bulls and goats, but they are genuinely born again. They are spirit of his spirit. They are sons of God for the first time since the fall of man. The Holy Spirit of God isn't going to just sit on some. He's going to come into as many as will receive him. And of course God is excited. In the Old Testament, some would be prophets and some would be priests and some would be seers and have visions. But the prophet Joel, out of the excitement in God's heart, he prophesied. Now, whatever you believe about the gifts, you have to agree that Joel the prophet prophesied by the Spirit of God and God in his excitement said, in the last days, in that last age, in that last time period, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh and they're all going to prophesy. They're going to dream dreams. They're going to have visions. Supernatural things are going to take place. I don't know why some want to take God's thrill of the party away and say, well, that's not for today. I got news for you. We're more in the last days today than when Joel prophesied it and when Peter repeated it on the day of Pentecost. God's excitement about the promise should be our excitement about receiving it. Can I get an agreement? Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Ghost came down in the form of a tongue that was on fire. I don't know if you've ever been in the meat section of a supermarket and seen an ox tongue. Not the most glamorous thing. Here's a tongue on fire on people's heads. And they started speaking languages they hadn't learned. And so some bystanders are hearing them. They came from around the world, converted to Judaism to celebrate the, the, the spiritual, religious festivity of Pentecost. And being from different quarters of the earth, they heard people praying in their language. And they started to joke and say they're drunk, they're mad, they're out of their mind, they're demon-possessed. Since when does God have to measure up to men's rules? Let God be God. And let him do what he does best. And if God is supernatural, then he does the supernatural best. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 to uh, 32 and 33, it says, God has raised this Jesus to life. Peter's now preaching to the scoffers. And he says, we're witnesses of it. This Christ was exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Notice how it's the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. This was God's big promise, just like the sun was God's big promise. Do you know that to those who want to object to the concept of an ongoing baptism of the Holy Spirit, still for today? In Ezekiel, God prophesies. He says, The day's coming. Well, I'll write my laws not on hearts of stone. But I will write my laws inside man on hearts of flesh. And that speaks of a new nature. We had a fallen nature from the first Adam. We get a new nature from the last Adam. And the laws of God are intuitive to us. Because we're born of his spirit. And so they're not just decrees written in a book that we try to obey. We have received, not just positionally, but practically, we have received the righteousness of God by faith through Jesus Christ. And there's a new law written inside of us, and it's a law that is imprinted into our spiritual DNA so that we could produce righteousness. Can I get an amen? But in that same prophecy, it says, I will give them a new heart. And I will write on their hearts of flesh my laws. And it says, I will give them a new spirit. The coming and the unveiling of Christ was the beginning of man getting a new heart, a new nature. The same way we bore the likeness of the first Adam. How much more... If this is God's plan of redemption and salvation, we're going to bear the likeness now of the last Adam. Hallelujah. And where we've been subject to the spirit of the world, he's going to give us a new spirit, his Holy Spirit. Where we were led by the spirit of darkness, we'll be led by the spirit of God. Romans 8, therefore, those that, as many as are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. You understand the excitement in God's heart? His kids are coming home, and now instead of listening to a sinful nature, instead of listening to demonic voices, they will actually start to function from His Spirit, and there will be a connection spirit to spirit. And they will be led, they will hear, they will be guided. The Holy Spirit will tell them things yet to come. Jesus said that. That's prophetic. And yet people mistakenly believe, well, that's not for today anymore. And yet, Jesus said one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is that he will tell you things yet to come. That's prophetic. God's excited about this, the promised Holy Spirit. And so Peter says they have received from the Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out. What you now see and hear, verse 37 to 39. When the people heard this, <clears throat> and in between is the message of salvation. He tells them how to get saved. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? Next verse. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's water baptism. If you have not been baptized in water since you have put your life in Jesus' hands, I want you to see Pastor Tom. Uh, We picked up quite a few folk last week uh, who want to be baptized in water. We'll be announcing a date very soon. But see Pastor Tom. Water baptism is very important. John baptized with water. But Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Both, very important. And Peter goes on to say, be baptized every one of you. I was rereading the verse, thank you. See, he's unwrapping it more, faster than me. He's excited. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. The promise is for you He's saying to the people in front of him, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off. And people can say, oh, that was people from other countries, but it's not for today. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The people who, and they're my brothers in Christ. But they believe that that's not for today, and yet they have a very strong view of the sovereignty of God, and no one can get saved unless God calls them. Well, Peter makes it quite clear. For all whom the Lord our God will call, this gift, this promise, what you now see and hear, the Holy Spirit still wants to lead men and women. He still wants to prophesy through us. He still wants us to see visions so that we can see what God sees. He still wants us to lay hands on the sick because God still cares about the sick. Don't tell me that he just did that to launch his church and he's nothing more than a big, fat-headed CEO who just has a personal interest at stake. No, God's personal interest is humanity. And so the hurting and the pain of humanity for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. God loves us and so healing is still for today. The gifts of the Spirit are still for today. And so we see he's referred to as the promise over and over again. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. Isn't it interesting? The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off. Sounds like the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Isn't it interesting? The spirit of God is always saying the same thing. It could be 500 years earlier through the prophet Joel. And then 500 years later through the apostle Peter. Peter. God is excited about all flesh receiving His Spirit and being led by the Spirit. But I'm going to ask you a question because I'm anticipating the question that might be in some people's hearts. Why tongues? On the day of Pentecost, two things in particular happened. If we could put these next two phrases on. On the day of Pentecost, two particular things happened. Number one, a tongue on fire appeared on the heads of those who received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why, why a tongue? And secondly, they started to speak in tongues. What was the importance of that? Language is the vehicle that allows thought, Memories and imagination to be communicated. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to read a whole paragraph that I wrote out this morning. I want you to get this. Language. Language is the vehicle that allows thought, memories, and imagination to be communicated. Likewise, language is the vehicle for expressing emotion and feeling. It's also the vehicle whereby we express our will. We speak our desires. Even a child, wah-wah, milky. We express the things we want. Food! (laughs) We just get a little bit more sophisticated as we get older, but these same urges are still there. Food! If I don't say it with my mouth, my stomach will say it. And groans and moanings that can't be uttered, right? How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. (laughs) Our stomach starts to gurgle when we're hungry. So language is the vehicle that allows thought, memories, imagination to be communicated. Likewise, language is the vehicle for expressing emotion and feelings. It's also the vehicle whereby we express our will. I want. I need we speak our desires. Let's go to the next part of what I wrote. What I find fascinating about this is that the function of thought and emotions and will are the functions of the soul. You see, both in the Hebrew, whenever the Bible talks about the heart, in the Hebrew, it is the word lebay. And in the Greek, it's the word "cardia." And both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the interpretation of the word heart is the realm of the mind, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. Well, isn't it interesting then that language is the expression or the vehicle of communication for the mind, the emotions, and the will. It is how the soul communicates. How many of you are following me so far? In uh, the first place that needs to be affected by the baptism of the Holy Spirit is our soul. Look. When the first Adam sinned, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the first Adam made us sinners. You're not a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you were made a sinner. That word made in the Greek is "kathistome," And it literally means the mold of who you are was changed. Constitutionally, you were changed. In your fabric, in the fiber of your soul, there was an alteration, a mutation. A mutant mutated you. Demons seduced Adam to surrender his position of being God's ambassador and representative, vice-regent. And he surrendered his high position to the power of darkness. And in his sin, he became a servant to the forces of darkness. What you submit your body to, you will be a servant to. The Bible teaches these principles. And ever since then, man has been enslaved to a sin nature. And so, the first Adam, cathistomated made us. He changed our constitution. He changed the inner format of how we were wired and what we were meant to be. But the mere fact that Jesus died on the cross and he became the righteousness of God to us, it's not just a position, it's a transformation, hallelujah! we are born a second time. But the same way we were born the first time into a fallen Adam, we are born again into the last Adam. And if we bear the likeness of a human being, surely we will bear the likeness of the Son of God. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a shout. Isn't it interesting? that the manifestation of the fullness of the baptism of the Spirit is in a tongue on fire and people talking in tongues and language, which is what the tongue does, is the communication of the mind, the emotions, and the will. When man fell, what became fallen? His spirit? No. His soul. James talks about what causes a problem inside of us and the envy and the bitterness and the jealousy and all of these. You know what they are. Turn to somebody. Look at somebody and say, I know what they are. And you know what they are too. Our soul caused conflict within us. Our spirit wasn't fallen, but it became dormant until we got born again. The spirit never got touched by a fallen nature. Your soul did. When I got born again, my spirit was awakened from a deep slumber. My soul gets touched as I'm born again. I've been given a new nature, and the Holy Spirit When I'm baptized, and even when I'm a Christian, whether I've spoken in tongues or not, he starts to affect my soul. But it's very interesting that at the baptism, the vehicle of expression of the soul is the thing that God chose to be a sign that a baptism has taken place. And I think it's absolutely amazing When we can allow the tongue or our tongue, the vehicle of communication for our soul, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, it will start to do something that the soul has no control over. For example, speaking in an unlearned language. Again, why is that important? If we were to go to James, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 6 to 8, James Hits the nail on the head and he says, Likewise, the tongue is only a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Listen, The Holy Spirit inspired James to write this and he talks about a tongue of fire and how it sets the life on fire and it'll bring that life to a place of fire. And on the day of Pentecost, the sign of receiving the precious Holy Spirit is a tongue on fire. Hallelujah. I want to be so filled with God's Spirit that he takes that vehicle that can be such a menace and he starts to operate it. You know, why tongues? The answer to that question is in the next question I'm going to ask you. How did you learn to speak? See, I've watched my kids and I've was very happy to play an active role in their infancy and childhood. Sometimes, you know, they say, oh, men only get interested in the kids when they can play football with them. I, I, I enjoyed every phase of having my kids, except for cleaning their diapers. But I would do it. But I enjoyed and I enjoyed the nonsensical communication. And they'd go, ga, 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 and I would go, ga, 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 Now, you won't get me to go, ga, 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 but my little kid will. Yeah, I just did. But how do you learn to speak? Your child is sitting in, in, in the cot, and it's crying, and it's reaching its arms out. And you start to assume what they want because you want the crying to go away. Pick up, pick up. You want mommy to pick you up? And you pick them up and they stop crying. And the kid over and over and over again hears pick up, pick up. You know what they're wanting or you're guessing because their arms are out. And then they're sitting in a baby chair and They're reaching, ah, what do you want, what do you want, pick up, ah, you pick them up, they're still crying, and they're reaching towards the kitchen, ah, water, water, or uh, you know, my granddaughter, they call her milk bottle, Bubba Night Night, she gets a bottle of milk and goes to bed, and they lean towards the kitchen, ah, and you start going through all the lists, And, and, and finally, you realize they want milk, and you give them milk. And the kid starts to learn milk or whatever baby name you give it. And little by little, they start to recognize sound. But when you learn to talk, it's not just about learning to recognize sound. Do you know that when you speak, there are more muscles involved and more neurons involved in the act of, act of speech than an athlete uses in the calf of his leg when he's running? It's more intricate, it's more involved. And from the moment you start to learn to speak, your ear hears the sound mom makes when mom gives you what you finally want and somehow over a period of repetition, you learn and you have to learn how to shape your mouth. You have to learn where to place your tongue, how to open your jaw, and the process of speech begins. And when the baby starts to speak, they recognize whether they were rewarded or mom and dad are still in the days. And how does that happen? They hear what they say, and they watch the response. And when they get a positive response, the brain makes a mental note. The sound you just made, and the way you moved your tongue, and the way you moved your jaw, and the way you shaped your lips got through to your mother. (laughs) And the process continues. And so as the child starts to speak, As you start to speak, as I start to speak, as I preach under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, hopefully... As I'm blurting out words, every word, my ear hears the word and says, that word is right, next word is right, next word is right, next word is right. And at the same time, my brain is thinking about where I want to go. And it's bringing all the right words together. And in nanoseconds, my brain is in control of a myriad of operations that are taking place. So white tongues. Because there are very things that are so controlled by your brain as the act of learning how to speak. And so when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, God chooses to take our tongue and start causing us to make sounds that the brain will say, that's crazy, that doesn't make sense. Why? Because the whole idea of being led by the Spirit is not being led by your mind. Amen. Amen. You see, I want you to have visions. I want you to get words of knowledge. Joe, in my life, and it's still happening, we carry baggage from our childhood. And I find there are still things God's healing me of. And when I pray, he At times, he'll bring my imagination back to an event early in my childhood. And suddenly, he reveals why I still act out a certain way. That's like a word of knowledge, but it's a word of knowledge for me. Sometimes God can give me a word of knowledge for people. It's like Lynn had asked me to pray for a relative... And in the prayer meeting, she had asked me minutes before, and in the prayer meeting, suddenly I'm not even thinking about the relative. And the Spirit of God said, This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then when I talked to Lynn and I voiced that, and we all prayed for this relative, she said, uh, Yes, and without revealing anything, uh, details I didn't know were confirmed. Okay? Being led by the spirit. God wants his church to be supernatural. God wants his church to be miraculous. He wants his sons and daughters to prophesy. He wants them to have visions. He wants them to lay hands on the sick and see people healed. He wants to cast out devils through you. The priesthood, isn't it interesting? The priesthood in the Old Testament, a very select few, they could prophesy, they could have visions, they could do supernatural things. Hello, we, the church, everyone born again in the new covenant are priests. this is for your sons and your daughters. As many as are far off and as many as God will call. Amen. So why tongues? Doesn't make sense. No, it makes the most sense. Because the tongue is like a rudder on a ship and it can steer the ship. And the Holy Spirit wants to get control of this. And this thing, Is so connected to this thing. For several years of my infancy, connections were being made neurologically between my thoughts and my speech. And God says, I want to disconnect the brain. And I want you to speak from your spirit by my spirit. Amen. And that's the baby step. Because if we could trust God to do that, then when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to pray for so-and-so, such-and-such happened in the childhood, and I want to heal that, and I want you to have boldness to go to her and talk about it, you can have confidence because you've learned how to let go and not let your brain dictate everything. You've learned how to follow the Spirit of God. And so it becomes a launching pad for the rest of the gifts of the spirit god is excited about the promise of the holy spirit can i get an amen i'm going to read one last scripture and i'm going to ask the worship team to start coming down the front as we continue to worship i told you we're doing things differently today But the one last scripture I want to read is Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Can I have the team start coming down the front? Oh, they're coming down the sides. They're going to supernaturally appear. They're being led by the Spirit. They're going to come out of the side doors. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse 11. I find this very interesting. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg we'll give him a scorpion next verse if you then though you are evil or you have a sinful nature know how to give good gifts isn't it interesting the parallel is gifts the promise if you know how to give good gifts to your children and yet you're sinful you fail, you make mistakes, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit a good gift to those who ask him? Now, why is that verse even necessary? If we automatically just get the Holy Ghost the second we're saved. Now, I believe everyone who's born again has the Holy Spirit. But like I said from the beginning of this series, I have Jesus and I want more Jesus. I have God, and I want more of God. And I have the Holy Spirit, and I want more of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an agreement? We're not talking about what's a better Christian. This is not an ego status thing. This is about learning how to be influenced more and more by the Holy Spirit of God. So why would he even write that? Let alone that Jesus said it. Why would he, the Holy Spirit, why would God the Father commission the Holy Spirit to commission Luke to write that? If we're just going to receive the Holy Ghost anyway. You know, when you start to speak in tongues and your brain isn't in control, your brain starts to ask questions. And your brain starts to doubt. And your brain starts to second guess. And your brain starts to go into panic mode because yourself isn't in control anymore. And that's the very baptism God wants to celebrate. Amen. 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 Sometimes I'm led by Rob Scarallo, and it's hit or miss. But when I'm led by the Spirit of God, it's always a hit. Amen. Amen. And am I led perfectly every time? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And I'm still praying in tongues. Because there are things that need to be prayed that with this noggin, I'd screw it up if I just, thank God he doesn't answer everything I pray with my brain. But there are things he does want to answer, and so through the Holy Spirit and the gift of being able to pray in tongues, my spirit prays by his spirit exactly what needs to be covered. It's a powerful thing. We don't get tongues and we've arrived. No, you get the Holy Spirit When you're born again, and you get more and more of the Holy Spirit if you push into more and more of the Holy Spirit. And tongues is not the arrival point. It's a launching point. I grew up as a Pentecostal, and I thank God for my roots, but not everything was right. And we, we used to, once we got the ability to start praying in tongues, it's like, okay, we shut the show down. We have tongues, and for the rest of our lives, all we ever did was talk in tongues. And God forbid, if someone prophesied, it was like, wow, revival just broke out. And this is meant to be the norm. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young men, young women will prophesy. They'll dream. They'll have visions. They'll hear from the spirit. They'll be led by the spirit. You want to play politics? Let's play politics in church for a moment. The reason why America is in such a desperate state, and I'm not just talking about this presidency, don't, get, don't sideline me to a party. I'm not going there. I don't care which presidency, the last one or this one, America's in a mess morally and spiritually. Yeah. It's true. We desperately need help. But that help isn't going to come from the White House. And the time that American Christians get it through their heads that the answer isn't in Washington, D.C. The answer needs to come to Washington, D.C. via the Holy Spirit and via the church of Jesus Christ. How obnoxiously convenient for us to think that the answer lies in our vote. What a slap in the face to the government of God. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And the end of that government will never come. And then we the church here in America, America's hope is hoping for something in the flesh. The best thing you can do as an American citizen for the nation you live in and hopefully you love it and respect it with all of its faults and there are some but the best thing we could do for this country and the best thing we can do for the world is to be the sons of god we are destined to be full of christ and full of the holy ghost amen if you're getting annoyed right now because of what I said about politics, it just goes to show how much we put our trust on the arm of flesh. My only hope for the United States of America is a great move and revival of the Holy Ghost to touch the church first because judgment starts in the house of God and overflow and hit the streets and touch the nation and touch the nations of the world. Hallelujah. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is not to the things of the world. It is not to our governmental politics. It is to the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom to which I pledge and for which I will stand forever and ever and ever. I go on living not for the great United States of America. I go on living for the kingdom of God needs to be heard and it needs to be seen. Hallelujah. Let the church of Jesus Christ be the church of Jesus Christ.